Welcome to the Greater Philly Church Podcast, where you'll learn to connect to Jesus and others through great teaching, inspirational stories, and relevant content. I'm Matt Manny, the pastor of Greater Philly Church, and my goal is to help you understand yourself, your relationships, and life in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening. As we come into this second message in the series, how can God be good in the midst of of pain. If you want to grab a coffee or donut at any point, it's kind of late this morning, and that light uh, attendance this morning, so feel free. There's donuts back there just begging to be eaten. So at, at any point, I know it's kind of, there's not too many people here, and it's like, if I stand up, everybody's going to go, what are they doing? So at any point, feel free to jump up. Uh, as you look there in your notes, as we dive in, how to process pain. Job's story, if you're an optimist, Job's story can be kind of a downer. If you're a pessimist, it's like, welcome to my world, finally. Somebody who realizes that there's pain and danger and suffering, and then we can talk about it. As you look there in your notes, we, we're going to look at this uh, topic of processing pain. We've looked at last week, is there a difference between punishment and pain that we're experiencing? And if you remember, we talked about that punishment is the consequences for choices that we make. And while punishment can be painful, pain and punishment that we experience in our lives can be, though, very different things. That we can experience pain as a result of not doing anything wrong, but as a part of life and as a part of our understanding and growing in our maturity and our understanding of God. And so as you see there, that pain can equal consequences, or punishment can equal consequences, but pain can simply be just a part of life. So if you're going through pain, and if you remember last week, we went through the six signs is God mad at me? And so we talk through, here are uh, six things that we can look at, six signs that we can say, okay, God is not mad at me. And if I, if I find myself uh, being uh, in one of, those, uh, uh, um, one of those signs showing up in my life that I'm not doing one of those things, well, maybe it could be simply a, a consequence of decisions I've made. But if you're experiencing pain apart from punishment, then maybe we need to take a look more at Job's backstory because that's what Job was experiencing. It was not punishment from God, and we're going to look at in the coming weeks how he has some friends who come around him who accuse him of doing things and saying that it's God's punishment on him. But let's look at Job's backstory. If you uh, did some of the study throughout this past week from, our, from last week, from some of the uh, information I had in your notes there for you, um, you'll, you'll see this as a, a, a repeat. But just to set us up for some groundwork going forward, Job had a great reputation. It starts off in Job chapter 1, that he was a business owner. He was not just any business owner. But the story describes him as being known throughout the land, that he was very successful. He was very well known. He was in the livestock business. So he had animals that he had caretakers for. And so he had a, a massive staff of employees, servants that worked for him. He was also a family man. He had about 10 kids. He had a wife. And so he had the good life. But as you see there, Satan comes along. And Satan says that people only worship God because God blesses them. That it's this symbiotic relationship. Have you ever seen the sharks? And the sharks are swimming around. They have those little tiny fish that kind of hang off on them. You know, the little pilot fish. And they kind of eat off the shark. And they hang around the shark uh, to get food. So there's, there's this understanding that God blesses us because we worship God. Then we make him feel good. That God needs us. And we need God. So there's a symbiosis, a symbiotic relationship. But God says to Satan that you'll find it very much the contrary. And so God says to Satan, consider Job, that he doesn't worship me just because I'm good to him. He worships me because he has integrity. 
And so he says, go ahead and test him and see if it's true. And so in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, Satan goes ahead and he, in, in just a matter of, from what we understand, just a few moments, he loses his business. He has an employee come and gives a report and says, everything's been, uh, uh, there's been a crazy storm, and so your livestock were destroyed. Uh, another a servant comes and says, uh, your animals and cattle that were out on the range, uh, they were captured and stolen by uh, another uh, enemy, a uh, uh, group of people. And then another one comes and says to him, there was an incredible uh, a storm, a hurricane, a tornado, something that blew up and the wind knocked the house down and all your kids were there having a party and they died. And so Job loses his business and his family, but he doesn't lose his reputation. So there's not a loss of reputation. He still continues to thank God. He blesses God. But then Satan comes back and says, well, what if I can just do a little bit more? And so God agrees. And in Job chapter 3, Satan goes after Job's health. And God says, you can touch his health, but you can't take his life. And so Job ends up, he lost everything financially. He finds himself, he has sores and boils on his skin. And his skin is so irritated and this condition is so bad for him that all he can find himself to do is sit basically in an in a area where they would dump ashes, basically a, a dump, a trash dump. And so he sits there in the ashes and he finds broken pieces of pot uh, pottery, and he takes those broken pot shards and he scrapes his skin. That's the only way that he can find relief. And so his wife comes along, and she's got a kind of a reputation for, for being kind of got a little bit nasty, but I want to throw something out there for us this morning. Job's wife comes and says, Job, just give it up. Just curse God and let him kill you. Like, enough's enough. You've lost your business. We've lost our family. We've lost our reputation. Obviously, you're, you've been hiding something. You've done something wrong. So curse God and die. So a lot of times, Job's wife gets a bad rap that she kind of wasn't supporting him. But, but just to throw out there this concept, if you've ever seen somebody in so much pain, somebody that you really loved, and somebody who is really struggling, and somebody who wouldn't give up, and somebody in your life who just, I'm not going to let go, I'm going to keep going, and you said, please, I can't stand to see you go through any more pain. Please stop the madness. We almost get a little bit of understanding of why Job's wife said what she said. And so for the rest of Job... We don't hear anything more about his wife. What we do find out is that he has three friends who show up, and the three friends we'll talk about next week, they come and they sit with him for about a week, and they don't say a word. But then from Job chapter 42 all the way, uh, for, from Job chapter 4 uh, all the way to chapter 31, we find that they talk the entire time. So most of the book of Job are his friends trying to give him counsel. And what we find then, as Job is sitting there, one of the questions that he asks himself is this. And we're going to look, and we'll go ahead and put up the next slide for us, JJ. We find this, that unprocessed pain is simply a crushing. Did you see there, there's um, crushed, I think it's like a, it's either chocolate or it uh, might be, I don't know if it's like coffee grounds. I'm going to go with chocolate. So it's this crushing that happens and this grinding. But processed pain equals a purpose. So there's things in our lives that don't make any sense. And if we look at them, we walk away and we say, I'm just going through pain and anguish and I'm, I'm just going to try to avoid it and just not go through it. There's just this crushing and we can find ourselves becoming martyrs, victims. We get stuck. Or we can try to work through the pain and process the pain and ask questions and try to make sense of what's going on and what's happening. And we'll see with this wrestling, with this struggling, we can find purpose in the midst of our pain. And so we're going to go ahead and pull up the next slide. We're going to see that in the next, this week and the next three weeks, then there's questions that each uh, person from their point of view asks. So this, this week, week two in this series, 
Job asks this question, why me? Next week, week three, his friends will ask a question. Week four, he has an, uh, another friend, a fourth friend, who has a question they ask. And then finally, in week five, we'll see that God steps in, and God has a question for Job and for us. So with Job's question, we don't see that as too far off from us. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? God doesn't, you see there, there's a statement for you. God doesn't always give us the answer to the why question. We may not understand until we get to heaven why God allows us to go through what we go through. But in the meantime, the greater need is what to do with the pain, frustration that we're experiencing. The thought is this. If I can know why the things that are happening to me are happening, then I can either intellectually, logically go along with those things and say, okay, I'm going to go through and with understanding, then I'll go ahead and, and allow God to do what he's doing. Or we say, well, I don't agree with what God's doing, and so I'm not going to go along with what's happening in my life. And for all the why questions we ask, God very rarely comes out and says, this is exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing to you, and this is how things are going to work out. And he very rarely lays out the plan before us to show us. I believe if God showed us fully what we were going through, or going to go through in life, we would say, I'm done. I'm going to give up now. I'm not going to go through the pain and suffering. I can't handle that. And so each day, God reveals a little bit more to us in our walk with him in life as we grow and mature. And so as we jump in here, we're going to find that there's six steps to try to work through what you're going through, six steps to process your pain. The first step is this. We're going to find, Job talks about these things throughout the book of Job. We'll see where he makes mention. First step is this. Number one, take your case to God, to take your case to God. Many times in churches, we talk a lot about observation. This is what the Bible says, or this is the stories of the Bible, and we'll look at different things. We'll, uh, pastors will preach on different things, and we'll bring out, this is what it says. And so the problem, though, that I found, I, and I grew up in church, uh, what I found for me, I was sitting there wondering, okay, well, how does this apply to my life? Like, like bridge the gap from Sunday to Monday. How does this work out in my life? And so we find, for us, my goal with this series is to help us bridge the gap from Sunday to Monday, to make sense of what's going on here in this story. And so we find here, take our case to God. In Job chapter 13, you can look there in your notes. You can also look up on the screen. When it comes to taking our case to God, Job says this in Job 13, verse 3, 23, and 24. He says in verse 3, surely I would speak to the Almighty. He says, I'm going to talk to God, and I'm going to desire to reason with God. I'm going to take my, my issue here to God. How many are my iniquities and my sins? How bad have I lived my life? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. He says, God, you punish those who've done wrong. So I don't think I've done anything wrong, but if I'm missing something, show me then. Reveal to me why this is happening. Why me? What have I done? In verse 24, he said, why do you hide yourself from me? Why do you hide your face from me? And why do you hold me for your enemies? The Job is very poetic. The whole book of Job, if you re uh, read it in any different translation, you'll find that it's very poetic. He puts things in juxtaposed uh, uh, situations. And even this, he says, you hide and you hold. You ever felt like that with God? That there's things going on in your life and you feel like, God, I don't know you. I don't understand you. I don't, I don't get you necessarily. And what's interesting is Job and his friends are having this discussion and we know just because if you've read the story or even just listening to uh, me talking about it, that God is going to come speak to Job. The problem is you're going to have to go pretty far and try to find somebody of, of hearing today of a story of God actually speaking 
audibly to somebody. Some people believe that God does. I personally believe that God speaks through what we read in the scriptures, that God speaks to us through circumstances that happen around us, that God even uses people to influence our lives, and God speaks to us when we pray to him, even when we're going to talk about how to write out to God and how to hear back from God to make sense of life, because otherwise it seems like a futile exercise and effort. We see Job, he's talking here, and, and throughout Job chapter 4 to Job chapter uh, uh, even 42, Job talks to God, and God doesn't speak to him until Job chapter 38. Finally, God interacts and responds. And so Job says here, I want to take my case to God. I want to talk to God about this. As you look there in your notes, you find this. There's a couple of ways, and we'll talk about these different ways throughout the message this morning. How do you talk to God about things? One of the first ways is to pray. Whether you are a churched or a Christian or a believer, if you have been around a, a being religious or not, even people who are not religious understand that there's something to meditation, something to mindfulness. The uh, idea of mindfulness, there's, it's really hot right now, very popular, it's very trending, of being quiet and being in the, in the moment of whatever you're going through and processing through what you're going through to think about what's happening in my life right now. Why are my relationships the way they are? Why do I feel the feelings I have or think the thoughts I'm thinking or why am I doing what I'm doing? And it's almost like putting a time out in your life and saying, okay, what am I doing here? And this idea of prayer, and we'll talk about it more as, as I mentioned as we go through, that prayer is simply this, of taking and talking to God. Now, there's, it's, it's, uh, some people uh, say, well, I don't know what to say. The best way I can explain what is prayer, it's just like I'm talking to you right now. The best way to pray is to talk to God like you talk to a friend say, but it's kind of awkward because I can't see anybody, I can't see anything, and I have to close my eyes, and then if I'm quiet, then my mind starts to wander, and then I hear things, and, and so my, my prayer, I've got an app on my Bible, and I, uh, on, my, on my phone, and I have different lists of different things for each day, and so I'll sit there, and because our house can be pretty crazy, I'll shut the door to the office that I have, and I'll try to be quiet, and usually there's a knock on the door, but I'll try to pray, and in my mind, I'm saying things to God, I'm speaking to God. You talk to yourself, and I talk to myself. We talk to ourselves all the time. We have these thoughts where we're thinking through these things. This happened, and that happened. And why did they do this, or why did they say this? The idea is to direct those thoughts instead of to ourselves, or thinking about those things about other people. We direct those thoughts toward God. So what do you do? You say, oh, I, don't, I don't connect with that. Another way to do it is to write. The, the Psalms, the collection of songs in the Bible, the Psalms, are all written prayers to God. They are poetic, some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are just really heart-wrenching. And what we find is David and other individuals, the collection of the songs of the Psalms, those were all written prayers to God. And so I'd encourage you, you can get a journal, get some a paper, and just write down what your thoughts are and say, God, I don't. And we'll talk a little bit more about this as we go through real specifically. What can you write about? You look there. Here's a, a way to start your prayer. God, this is what is going on in my life. And then you fill in the blank. God, I'm facing this situation. I've got problems at work. Or I've, I've got this, this thing going on in my relationship with my family. I've got a coworker who just doesn't, and fill in the blank. My job is overwhelming. My job is too easy. My job is unfulfilling. And to, to actually take those, those thoughts and bring them to God, that's prayer. It's not mystical, it's not magical, it's not something where you have to uh, uh, climb atop of a mountain and get away from everybody. You can do it anywhere, at any time. 
You can say, God, here's my, my health situation. My health isn't what I want it to be. It isn't what I used to be when I was younger. Or God, my friend has left me. Or God, my friend is overbearing. They're overreaching into my life. And so we take whatever we're going through, we take that issue to God. Number two is this. Admit that we don't get God. Admit that we don't understand God. There are days that I wake up and I'm, man, this is great. I love my life. I love being me. And then there's days that I wake up and I think we've all felt this. Man, I need somebody else's life today. Like, I wish I could be waking up in somebody else's bed, in somebody else's house, in somebody else's shoes. I wish I didn't have to face the things I have to face today. And what we find here is this, that we admit, God, I don't understand you. And that's okay. Because Job reiterates those words as well. Job chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says this to God. He says, I would seek unto God. That is, I would search God out. And unto God I would commit my cause, which doeth great things. God does incredible things. They are unsearchable. They're marvelous and they're without number. Do you sense the tension and almost the, the oxymoron of, this, of this, this statement? He says, I'm going to seek God, but the things of God are unsearchable. And so he talks about that I don't necessarily understand God, but I'm going to try to understand God the best I can. And what's interesting, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes some of the same things, and he, Jeremiah is a prophet, and he talks to the people of Israel on behalf of God, and so he says on behalf of God to the people that he's, uh, people he's talking to as a pastor, as a preacher, he says to seek God, to search out God, and the more that you search out God, eventually you'll begin to understand better about God. And how do you search out God? Well, you process and wrestle through what you're going through. As we find there, there's a statement you can pray through or write down in a journal. God, I don't understand why you, and then fill in the blank. That statement for me has happened at various points in my life. Whether it was a day ago, a month ago, years ago, where there's things that I'm finding myself saying, God, I don't understand why you, and then fill in the blank. And at different times, God will help me understand some of those questions. At other times, there's questions that God doesn't answer for me, but there's still this engagement. It's the same thing with my spouse, with Amanda. There's times when I'm going, why did you do? And then she'll tell me, and okay, I get it. There's other times when I'll say, why are you doing? And she'll say, I don't know. I'm not sure. And so we go at it, we talk, and we fight, and we wrestle through those different things. The third step to processing our pain is this is to argue our point. Argue your point with God. Argue your point with God. But here's the kicker. Beware that this is not an argument you're going to win. It's not an argument you'll win. Job chapter 9, verses 3 through 4. Job writes this. He says, if he, and this is Job, if Job will contend with God, God will not give him an answer that there's no chance that Job's case would hold up in court. That Job, and it's the idea, of, if you can put in your mind, that Job is, he's a, an attorney, that God is in court as the judge, and the attorney is, is coming and saying, I'm presenting this case before the judge. And I'm asking the judge to, to give a judgment and a ruling on this case. And so Job is writing this, and he says that God... If I take my case to him, my case isn't going to hold up, that God's going to make a judgment, and it, it may not make sense to me. In verse 4, he says, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself, that who can go against God and say, God, I don't get you, and you are unjust, that you are unfair? 
who of us can make a judgment of God and win against God? If you look there, it says, who has hardened himself against God and prospered? The word prospered means to make a way forward, to get through. So it would be crazy for a, an attorney to walk into a court and talk to the judge, and, and the judge says, this is my ruling, and for the attorney to say, well, you're wrong. And they can try to, try to make an appeal, but the attorney and the judge will never switch places. And yet that's what we try to do at times in our lives, and people, even who aren't maybe religious, they try to say, but God, you're not being fair. And they try to switch places with God, and instead of, of coming before God and bringing their case to God, they be, try to become the judge and jury of God and say, God, this isn't fair, this isn't right, you're wrong. As you look there in your notes, here's some statements for us that we might say, God, I've done my part by, we can fill in the blank. For Job, he could have said, God, I've done my part by offering sacrifices, by having a good reputation, by doing right. We could also say, God, I haven't been, I haven't done these things, but I've tried to. God, I haven't maybe always been faithful, I haven't always done whatever it might be, but I've tried to do my best. We could also say, God, this isn't fair because... Somebody else's situation is better than mine. God, this isn't fair because I don't deserve this. God, this isn't fair because you won't give me any answers. How can I engage you, God, when you won't talk to me, when you won't show me, when you won't help me? With each one of these steps, we get closer and closer in this process of understanding what we're going through. Number four, then, lean into expressing your emotions. Lean into expressing your emotions. Job says in Job chapter 7, verse 11, he says these words, therefore, I'll not refrain. I'm not going to hold back my mouth. I'm going to speak in anguish of the spirit. He says, I'm deeply struggling within. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And the irony is, remember as a kid, when you start to complain, and your mom or aunt or somebody would say, what'd you say? And it wasn't because they didn't hear you or me. It was because they want us to rephrase what we just said, right? We complain and we get frustrated and we take our case to God. And Job says, I'm not going to hold back. And the fear is this. If God is punishing me because I've done wrong, then God doesn't want to hear from me. Because that happens in our lives sometimes. Maybe in a relationship with somebody, maybe in, uh, with a parent or somebody that's an authority over us, where we say, I have, I have a question, no questions. I have a problem, no problems, just, just deal with it. I, I wanna, I'm trying to work through something, and I don't understand. You don't understand, go figure it out on your own. And, and there's this, this disconnection, maybe, uh, with us and those that are over us. And so the fear, then, is if I take my problem to God, first of all, when I pray, how do I know that I'm going to any, make any sense of what I'm praying about? Number two, if I bring my problems to God, isn't he just going to just, just uh, heap on more problems and struggles in my life? That if I start questioning God on things, won't he get mad at me and just keep on giving me more problems because I haven't towed the line and I haven't uh, stayed right in? And the interesting thing is this. We're going to talk about this concept uh, next week and as we go forward, that God doesn't need, to, need us to defend him or to isolate him or insulate him from us. That God doesn't need us to try to, to cradle him and to coddle him and handle him with kid gloves. God can handle himself. God created the world. He created you and me. And God can deal with bigger stuff than you and I can. So when it comes to bringing our anguish and our frustration to God, let God have it. Let God know what's going on in your heart because the irony is this. When we try to suppress and shove down what we're feeling, and you say, but God knows my heart and my thoughts. Yeah, God does, but there's something that happens when we bring our problems to God. 
We find, as we look here, David, the psalmist, writes this as well. He says, pour out your heart before God, before him. God has a refuge for us in Psalm 62, verse 8. What's amazing there is this idea of pouring is just this unleashing, just letting things go, expressing what's going on in our heart before God. What's amazing is as we express what's happening internally inside, that God then becomes the refuge for us, which is amazing because the God who we think, well, you're bringing this pain and punishment in my life, that as we express emotion, now the one who we think is bringing the pain and trouble now becomes the refuge for us. The one who we think is the author and the allower and the one who's creating the problems for us, when we express what's going on in our hearts, God then becomes the one who can help us. Now that word that's interesting there, the word there, Selah, it happens multiple times throughout the, the book of Psalms. Selah is basically like the word repeat. You know, some songs we sing, we'll sing a song uh, here in Sunday mornings and we'll go ahead and repeat the phrase again. The idea is the more that we repeat the phrase, the more that we'll think about what we're singing or what we're saying. And so he says there, Selah, which stop and think about that again. To go back and let that sink in. The psalmist, the writers put that word there because it's like an exclamation point. It's their way of bold, italicizing. It's their way of, they, they didn't have bold or italicized, you know, a, a cap, all caps in, in, when they were writing. But it's their way of saying, this is something important to think about and listen to. And as you see there in your notes, if you look there on the third page, it's this pouring out of God, I feel like garbage. Can you imagine saying that and being honest before God? God, I feel tired. God, I feel bad. God, I feel like I'm unworthy. God, I feel like I'm worthless because people have told me I'm worthless because I feel like uh, everybody around me is getting their feelings hurt and I'm trying to make sense of life. I'm trying to be in control, but nobody will let me be in control and, and nobody will listen to me. God, I feel like I'm just, I'm just fighting Everybody around me, God, I'm angry. God, I'm lonely. God, I'm sad. If you pull out, there's an insert in your handouts this morning. This is extra stuff that we just don't have time necessarily to get all through. But if you turn on the side that says how to identify and name your emotions, there are some people that just say, how are you doing? What do you think about? When somebody says to you, what do you think? They're an intellectual. They want to know your thoughts. They want to know what's in your head. But when somebody says to you, how you feeling? How you doing? That person, they're emotional, and they want to know what emotions you have inside. And there's some people that over-emote and overreact and over-respond, and they have no problem naming what's going on inside of them. There are other people that they can see emotions in other people, and they can name what's going on in other people, but they can't talk about what's happening in themselves. They can see it, but they can't see it in themselves. There are some people who say, I, I don't have emotions. I'm just a robot. I'm not created that way. I just don't have emotions. There are some people that look at emotions as that it's weakness. Other people that look at emotions as something to avoid because if I, if I address bad emotions, then I'm not going to be able to get out of it. It's like a black hole. It's going to suck me down. I'm going to feel bad and horrible about myself. It's interesting. Some of the most famous comedians, people that are high on positive emotion, positive emotion. You take Saturday Night Live, just for instance. All the different phenomenal creative people who have high, high, happy emotion, and many of them have committed suicide. I think one of the connections for that is they've never processed the deep, deep anguish and pain and emotion, the negative side, and all of a sudden it comes crashing down. Now, you, you don't know everybody's motives, but it's interesting to note that people that are so happy, so incredible, will go so far when it comes to dealing with situations in life. So as you look there, I, how do I identify your emotion? I'm just going to go 
briefly, and you take this this week at some point, get up early, stay up late, but at some point, what if you can't name your emotions? What if you say, I, I don't really understand what you're talking about? Take the events that are happening to you, the pain or the situation you're going through happening outside you, and how do you want to respond from within? Whatever's taking place, what is your natural response? What do you want to do? That's pretty easy to name. I want to get away from it, or I want to get involved with it, or I want to forget about it, or I want to control it. Whatever response, whatever action you have, you look down here on this list, you want to pull away. There's an emotion that's connected to the action of pulling away. Do you want to confront? There's an emotion connected with that action. Do you want to control? Do you want to deflect? Do you want to perfect? Are you backfilling? Backfilling is this, are you criticizing yourself? If you've ever been in this situation yourself or met somebody who is constantly self-deprecating and criticizing, what they're trying to do is, I'm gonna criticize me before you criticize me. Why? Well, you look, what are they trying to do? They're trying to deal with the disgust that's within themselves, that they're so upset with themselves. That's an emotion. Are they overthinking things? Are they being combative? Is there uh, some condescension there? So there's all these connections with these different emotions. And what happens is this. What's interesting is those emotions, there are instructions for us all throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, when it comes to dealing with envy. Envy is an emotion. Jealousy, shame, criticism, vulnerability, pride. All those emotions that we feel, the Apostle Paul, if you look throughout any of his writings, he has incredible instructions for us, for those emotions. So then you look at the bottom of this page. What are you doing? And then what emotions are you having trouble naming? And once you can finally name those emotions, you take those emotions then to God and say, God, I am so disgusted with myself. God, I'm so frustrated with this person. God, I feel incredible shame. And what's amazing is as you begin to name what's going on inside you, eventually at some point you're going to have a confrontation with somebody and somebody's going to come and go head to head with you on some issue. And they're going to say something to the effect of, what were you thinking? What's wrong with you? Or why are you avoiding me? And if you can say to them, listen, I'm afraid that you're going to abandon me. And that's why I'm pulling away. If I pull away from you first, I don't have to face the emotion and the fear of abandonment, and that's why. Can you imagine how that would transform your relationships with people? If you really knew why people were doing what they're doing, could you imagine how that transformed how you see yourself? If you realize what I'm trying to do, it's just, it's a wiring, it's a human thing that I'm doing, that God's wired us this way. It's just having the trouble to pull that up through. We talked about it uh, just a few weeks ago with that whole tree uh, idea of, of raising our kids, and they have anger, and that anger's connected to our hurt, and that hurt's connected to an expectation, and that expectation's connected to a need. And if we could figure out what those needs are, we could deal with the anger then. Well, if we have these difficulties we're facing with this pain and punishment, if we can connect that to an emotion, we can begin to process what we're going through. As you see there in your notes, we find that number five, as we come down the home stretch, take life one day at a time. You say, well, how do I do this? One Sunday service, a 30-minute message, 40-minute message is not going to fix your problems. But what I can tell you is this. Job, we don't know how long he talked to his friends. We don't know the, the time span of the book of Job. It could have been days, weeks, months, we don't know. What we do know is this, take life one day at a time. Job 28, verses 12 to 13, Job talks about this. As we find there, he says this in Job 28, verse 12, 
you can pull that up for us there, JJ. He says, but where shall wisdom be found? And where's the place of understanding? Here's my problem. If I wanted to, I could go home as soon as we're done here. I could go home and I can order a bouquet of flowers and send it to your house. I could send you a $500 Walmart card. I could get a hold of a Starbucks card and send it to you. There's so many different amazing things we can do with the touch of a button. We have Minute Rice and we have uh, Instagram. Why? Because it's getting like telegrams instantly, you know, amazing. We have all this stuff that's right at our fingertips. And yet the deeper, most important things of life take an immense amount of time. You ever met somebody and you say, man, why are they so jacked up? Why are they so messed up? How can they be going through life and just be so just out of whack? It's because they've never processed what they've gone through in life. And God gives us just enough time. God gives us 70 or 80 years, as the psalmist says, to work out this life, this thing that we're going through. And what's interesting is this. Your problems will not be fixed today, but God gives you a brand new day tomorrow and a day after that. Jeremiah writes in a book called Lamentations. Lament, it means emote. He's very emotional. Jeremiah, he was a pastor, he was a prophet, and nobody responded well to him, nobody liked him. And so he's also known as the crying prophet. He was very emotional. He didn't get any respect. And so he wrote the book of Jeremiah, but he also wrote a book called Lamentations, or Lamenting. And one of the amazing things that he writes there in Lamentations is this, that God's mercies, God's goodness, it's renewed every single day. And we find the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, comes, that, that famous hymn comes from those words that Jeremiah wrote. And as you see there, and your notes, take it a day at a time, we find this. He says, where can wisdom be found? Well, it's not going to be right now. It's not going to be instant. And where's the place of understanding? He says, man doesn't know the price thereof, the cost, what it costs to gain wisdom and understanding. He says, neither is it found in the land of the living. So if wisdom has a high price on it that we can't even put, and if understanding cannot be found around us, then what's it take? Well, we'll go on and we'll, we'll find in just a moment in point number six, where it can be found and what the cost is. But it takes a day at a time. It takes wrestling and working through what you're going through. As you look there in your notes, go to God. Admit that you don't understand God. Argue your case. Express your emotions. Rinse and repeat. Go back through that process again and again. You're not going to get clarity or an answer right away. Waiting through the pain takes time. If you take out your little insert once again and flip on the other side this time, look on the other side, how to process your pain with God. Here's as practical as I can get. Thinking about my life, the, things that, the different things that I've gone through and faced, thinking about if you're going to walk out of here today and say, okay, what, are my, what next steps can I take? Number one there on your list is what. There's a whole list of practical things you can do to help start the process of understanding what you're going through. Number two is when. What you can do once a day, what you can do once a week, what you can do once a month. Here are some how tips on tips on putting these activities and time into effect. And then the last one is why. The reason to keep going forward when you know your why, when you know what you're doing, that you'll ease the pain and frustration you're going through. At least you begin to make sense. And what's incredible is you begin to make sense and clarity of what you're going through. As other people go through very similar circumstances as you, you'll be able to be a support and a help to them and come alongside them. Number six then, and I know it's this last one and we'll wrap up. Seek God through the season of suffering. Job wrote those words. He said, I'm going to seek after God. 
In Job chapter 28, then, we've talked about just this last point. It's going to take a day at a time. And Job says, the, the cost of wisdom is high. That it's, 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 a, it's an invaluable uh, price tag. And understanding cannot be found amongst the land of the living. But what he does say in Job chapter 28 is this. He says in verse 23, that God understands the way thereof. That God has understanding. He says, and God knows the place where you can find wisdom. And unto, the, unto man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. To engage God. Fear God, that's, that's this, it's this coming to God. It's not necessarily a terror of God, but it's that God can be engaged. That God, you can ask God questions. One of the great ways is to write. I love writing and journaling. Uh, some people call it release writing, where they just write and write and write. They don't have to edit or, or um, put a spell check on. They just write. And so if you like to handwrite things or you like to type things, either way, whatever you're doing, it's getting out what's inside of you. And so he says that God, the beginning of, of uh, wisdom, it's fear, to fear God. It's a reverence and respect and engagement of God. And then he says, and understanding is what? And to depart from evil is understanding. What happens is this. Bad thing, we question God. We get frustrated because we don't understand and then we find ourselves walking away from God. Bad thing happens. We question. We don't get an answer. And then we walk away. And we get away from God. And we say, God, I'm done with you because I don't understand you. It happens all the time. It happens so much. It happens more than we ever realize. Around us and within us, there's always that temptation to walk away because the pain's so great. And so what we find is this. You see there in your notes, direct your questions, your misunderstandings, your hopes, your emotions to God. Do the best you can with what you've got. Is God mad at me? No, God's not mad at you. It's pain, not punishment that you're facing, that I'm facing. What's interesting is this, I can get through what I'm going through because God will get me through. We learned that last week. When it comes to this question of why me then, as we wrap up this morning, understanding may not come right away, but with time and with processing what we're going through, and it doesn't have to be something where you, you stand up next Sunday and, I'm having issues, everybody, and here's what I'm going through, you know? But as you begin to understand yourself, all of a sudden you're going to have this peace about you that you're going to be able to get through what you're going through, that you can begin to realize you don't need things from people. You don't need people to pay attention to you all the time or people necessarily to, to get in line and do the right thing necessarily all the time. And so many of the frustrations we have with our relationships are an outflow of the frustrations we have within with ourselves. When I get most frustrated with my kids or people around me, you know why? Because I'm most frustrated at me. When I try to fix other people, it's because I can't figure out how to fix me. When I get angry or disappointed with other people, it's because most often I'm disappointed with God and I don't understand God. And so as you look at your notes there, going back to what we talked about early on in the beginning, pain that's unprocessed, it's this crushing, it's this incredible crushing. The idea when you make wine, when you make grape juice, you take those, those grapes that are perfectly formed, that are ready to eat, that are good to go, that have gone through this process of being a seed and growing up through the vine and being produced. In order for them to even become more valuable, to become more valuable, they have to be crushed. In order for them to increase in quality, and in price, they have to go through the crushing process. And so as you look there in your notes, pain that's unprocessed just leaves us crushed. 
But when we process the pain, when you process that crushed juice, it brings about an incredible value. Processed pain brings about, look here on the screen, processed pain brings about purpose and power from that crushing. You say, I can't make sense of what I'm going through. Begin to process through, just like Job began to process and work through those things. And when you say, I, I just don't understand what I'm, what I'm going through, I don't understand why. As you begin to process, you'll find there's purpose and that power that you need to get through what you're going through. It's gonna come from God, it's gonna come from some understanding, and it's gonna come from that processing of what you're going through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the time to come before you this morning. I thank you for each one who's come out today. And God, I pray that there is- Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope it was encouraging and inspiring. If you'd like to know more information about Greater Philly Church, you can go online to greaterphilly.church. You can also find information on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook about the church as well. I'd love to be able to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt, M-A-T-T, Manny, M-A-N-N-E-Y. I've also got a blog with great content that you can find more information about at mattmanny.com. I hope the message today helped you to understand yourself, your relationships, and Jesus better in light of what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening.